Hello, and welcome to The Advantage Investor, a Raymond James Limited podcast, a podcast that provides perspective for Canadian investors who want to remain knowledgeable, informed, and focused on long-term success. We are recording this on April 13th, 2021. I'm Chris Cooksey from the Raymond James Corporate Communications and Marketing Department. Today, we are speaking with Head of Investment Strategy from our PCS, Private Client Solutions Investments Group, Nadim Kassam, to discuss Q121, an outlook for the rest of the year, and something that's in the news a lot, inflation concerns right now. Welcome to the Advantage Investor, Nadim. How's lockdown life treating you today? Hey, Chris. Uh, doing well and really excited to join the podcast today. The, co- the COVID lockdown is, is you know, not as bad as it is for others, but uh, you know, we're getting through it. Excellent. That's all we can expect from everyone doing the best they can right now. Um, so let's jump right into it. Uh, coming into 2021, there were all sorts of quote unquote things in the market to digest. Uh, there was a new president coming in, a lot of social unrest out there. There's a pandemic going on and all the results from that around the world. So let's just take a, a brief second to go over how the markets performed in Q1. And maybe let us know if there's been change in leadership in terms of companies that are driving equities forward. Yeah, sure. So like you mentioned, there were there were a lot of you know moving parts as we we entered uh, 2021. Um, like you said, uh, you know, a new administration entering the White House and and the related uncertainties uh, associated with that. Um, you know, the vaccines and the and the pace of rollouts was, was another thing. Um, central bank policy um, was, was something that was quite topical as well, uh, in addition to several other headlines, right? Um, as we look back at Q1 2021, the reality is, is um, the markets and economic fundamentals have actually surprised to the upside. Um, in particularly, we've seen uh, better than expected vaccine rollouts, uh, you know, in many parts of the world, including the US. So as of, you know, the latest count we've had, um, about 150 million, approximately half of the U.S. population that's received at least one dose of the vaccine. It's been truly amazing watching them roll out uh, and get that many needles into arms. That's that's exactly it. Um, we've had the U.S. obviously, um, you know, lead the charge uh, as it relates to vaccine rollouts. And, um, you know, in Canada, we were a little bit slow to the start, um, but we're, we're gaining momentum here. About 20 percent of the population has received at least one dose, you know, it's pretty impressive. There is definitely light at the end of the tunnel and um, the prospects are, are improving. And, and the reality of this whole pandemic um, and, and the slowdown and the, the, the recession uh, that followed in 2020 was, was ma- mainly policy infused, right? Like we needed to contain this virus. We needed to ensure that we weren't overloading the healthcare system. And so it was these restrictive measures that put us into lockdown, right? And that mm-hmm. caused the economic a growth engine to slow down and actually move into a contraction territory. And what's going to help us actually get out of this is effective vaccine rollout and two constant uh, accommodation by policy holders to offset the negative impacts and uh, of, of these restrictions and, and job losses and so on. And we've seen that we've seen an unprecedented amount of stimulus um, by policymakers globally, which is more than offsetted. Uh, the the traction that we we have experienced as a result of the COVID nineteen pandemic and and the following restrictions and I'll just throw out one stat here in the U S 
um, if we factor in the latest um, $1.9 trillion fiscal uh, COVID relief bill that was passed by the um, Biden administration, approximately 14% of GDP has been infused into the U.S. economy. Globally, that's the number is 25%. So the amount of stimulus that's that's been you know infused into the market to really help um, consumers, businesses um, uh, to kind of weather the storm has been unprecedented and, and, and it pales in comparison to any other environment. And so if we look at, let's say, the broader uh, market, we've seen equities perform. Equities have done extremely well after factoring in you know, the positive and, and better than expected upbeat rollout of the vaccines um, across uh, many regions across the world. And then this you know, pent-up demand and and improving economic outlook um, as we look out um, in H2 of 2020. So equities have performed well, cyclicals have been leading, um, value stocks have been performing extremely well um, over and above, let's say the um, COVID-19 lockdown sectors, if you will, or stocks that were more defensive in nature and and more um, resilient throughout the the last uh, year. Well, it seems to me like we haven't heard much about, you know, and, and obviously we're not going to talk about really specific stocks and, what, and, and their value. But, you know, when this first started, we, you heard a lot about the Amazons and the Zooms and, 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 and those types of companies taking advantage. So it does seem like we're rotating out of that to this to be a more broad based um, participation in the market by all companies. So, Chris, I think you nailed it right uh, on the head there. Um, you know, these early winners, uh, for example, like the Amazons and, and the Zooms of the world, um, they were less impacted by these stay-at-home restrictions, right? They actually benefited in many cases, right? And so they're now taking a little bit of a backseat as the prospects improve and the earnings trajectory of a lot of these cyclical uh, inclined names, um, commodity sensitive names, um, discretionary names tend to, you know, have an improving growth profile as we look out outside of, you know, the lockdown environment. And so, and, and so that, I mean, at the end of the day, that's just really good for the markets. I know that's a simple way and maybe very simple to the listeners to hear, but you want as broad a participation as possible that underpins the strength of the market. Is that, is that a safest thing to say? Yes. Having breadth and having a lot of companies participate um, is, is, uh, is always something that we're looking for um, as it relates to the markets. It, it, it kind of shows that all cylinders are, are, are firing seamlessly. So we're, we're getting that rotation. That doesn't necessarily mean the companies like that you mentioned, uh, such as Amazon and even other technology, you know, stars out there um, are, are companies that we would avoid because, you know, while the, the earnings growth trajectory of, of many of these companies um, and even in, in, in relation to their valuations are maybe not as attractive as, as some of the other sectors, um, these are these are businesses that have remained resilient. You know, I, I can't emphasize that enough during the worst of times. So these are solid businesses um, that will continue to fare well um, in the years ahead. Right. So they may not have, you know, the best earnings and growth trajectory over the near term, but that doesn't necessarily mean these are not businesses that, you know, investors shouldn't own. Right. So be tactical. Um, you definitely have exposure to cyclical, more value ideas out there. Um, companies that are high quality, right? So I'm not saying to go and really go down cap and down quality, right? 
identify the best companies in you know the materials sector in the energy sector um, in the consumer discretionary sector some of these some of these industries that are poised to benefit but find businesses that really have a resilient business model and some sort of competitive edge um, as you look to complement your portfolio um, with with additional names cool now uh, I guess uh, just keep going on on a similar line here um, We've seen this rotation. We've seen more broad-based participation. So how does that set us up for the remainder of the year? Yeah, so I think it sets us up really well, right? And so what, what these companies, and, and when, when, you, when you say broad-based participation, um, you know, what that really means is the economy is moving forward. You know, we're opening up. So as opposed to, let's say, uh, most of 2020, when there was only a silo and a select group of companies that were benefiting, we're having now the broader economy open up. We're getting all the different sectors benefiting and growing and improving. And so what that sets us up for is an improving economic growth outlook. So IMF recently came out with their numbers and and revised global um, GDP growth higher for both 2021 and 2022 to 6% for 2021 and 4.4% for 2022. And, And this is close to double the long-term rate. For Canada and the U.S., it's, it's um, sitting around 56 to 6% um, uh, for 2021 and 2022, um, and, and about 5% for Canada uh, for 2021. So, and this is, you know- it's a long time to, since we saw that 5% exactly, growth. <laughs> relative to thir- 30 years ago or the 30-year average, we're more than double the pace of growth, right? So this is really, really robust. And it's reflecting, once again, positive um, vaccine rollouts, the reopening of the economy, a lot of pent-up demand. We have very high savings rates uh, that have been you know, forced on us because you know, we've been in lockdown, right? And most of the developed world, corporations have high savings rates, right? That pale in comparison to any prior period, right? So there's a lot of this demand that's waiting to be unleashed. And the, you know, once again, 6% relative to historically growing at 3%, there's a lot of, you know, additional growth that is expected for, you know, the years ahead. So even if we get back, if companies get back to where they were in terms of their demand output in 2020, that still gets us, you know, towards the long-term rate, there's now this excess demand. And so over the near term, we're fairly positive. And we think that, um, you know, markets will do very well. And, and you know, um, they're reflecting this optimistic outlook um, as it relates to uh, company fundamentals. And I'll just add there, uh, for Canada, um, you know, the S&P TSX, for example, um, is trading around 16-ish, 17 times forward earnings. And we're expecting earnings in 2021 to increase by almost 60%. And this compares to maybe five-ish mid-single digits historically over the last 10 years. Mm. And comparatively for the U.S. S&P broad market uh, index, we're expecting growth of, of, of about 30%. And the market is trading at about 21 times, 22 times forward earnings. So it's it's... You know, we're not we're not really seeing extended valuations, especially when you consider what the outlook is for earnings. So I, I we're very bullish, and we continue to suggest um, a higher allocation to equities uh, over bonds uh, as we move forward. 
I guess the big unknown too is the consumer. We all know the consumer drives the economy um, in a lot of ways, especially in North America, Western Europe. Now, um, we haven't been able to do much. And of course, we spent money during this. We may have bought new TVs or whatever entertainment during this pandemic if we've been able to afford it. Um, but I know myself and my friends and, you know, I can't wait to go to a restaurant and have someone bring me a meal and um, maybe a beer or two or a glass of wine and just get out there again. And I guess there's, we can assume that the consumer is going to come back. We just don't know how much. That's exactly it. And right, and that's, that's the problem with some of the forecasts that are out there and expecting H2 to just be this, you know, massive rebound. It, timing is never right. And once again, we're in that, uh, in that um, group of individuals that think that um, we're, we're going to, see um, a nice rebound as we enter H2. And, and, the, and, and that is contingent on this continued momentum of, you know, this vaccine, vaccine rollout, yeah. right? So a lot of things that I will say here are, are contingent on how effective we are on A, rolling out vaccines, and two, how accommodative policymakers uh, maintain, you know, the stimulus support that they've been providing. And on the latter point, I think they've been both the, the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve and, and both the White House and, you know, the Liberal Party here in Canada have, have communicated continued support. And so I, I'm less concerned there. Um, I think the biggest risk here is just these variants that are the COVID-19 variants that are, you know, popping up everywhere. Um, and then all in terms and then also on on the effectiveness and and the success of this this rollout so i think you know there's brighter days ahead it's just you know getting that timing right is 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 more of an art than it is a science but i think we will get there in in the next year and um you know we will get back to pre-pandemic pandemic um you know levels uh, i think sooner rather than later can't wait, man. Can't wait. Now, um, one of the big stories, inflation. Inflation has been around, obviously, forever as a concept. But like I remember in 2008, a whole bunch of stuff went into the system there. People were worried about inflation. Um, you know, we're, we're 10 years later almost now or whatever. Uh, inflation is then is now back into the headlines. Some people are really worried about it. Some people are not worried about it. Um, so what will happen uh, to all that stimulus that's been pumped into the system, how does inflation, or what's your view on inflation as we as we start coming out of this? Yeah, so that's been a, a pretty hot topic here, and you we've seen the bond market essentially um, reprice over the past, you know, three to six months on the back of these uh, inflation expectations. So, um, I, I think my view over the near term is that yes, we're going to get inflation. And inflation is going to be um, within the two to three percent range that you know the Fed and Bank of Canada are are more or less expecting um, for their economies, right? And so that's you know we're getting a, a rebound in in um, energy prices and commodities, um, as well as other areas of the market that are are really propping up inflation expectations over the near term. But I, I think what the last um, cycle, you know, essentially showed us was that no matter how much money you print, we're not going to get the 1970s levels of, of runaway inflation that, you know, everyone was expecting, right? And so despite all of that stimulus and, you know, QE1, QE2, and, you know, keeping rates near zero for, you know, most of, you know, the last cycle, we, we failed to get 
you know, anything above two or 3% inflation, right? And so that's why if you think about the communication that's been provided by Fed officials and the Bank of Canada, you know, they are expecting inflation to heat up and they're okay with that. They actually are fine with sitting on the sidelines and letting the economies run a bit hot over the short term until they see persistent levels of inflation. And then at that point, starting to, you know, scale back, um, you know, some of the measures that are currently in place. And, you know, the one thing that I will say, if we look beyond the next five years, I think it's very, very difficult, despite the amount of capital that's been introduced into the system, to really get overly bullish on inflation expectations. And the reason why I say that is I have two great case studies, Japan and Europe. They have been doing exactly what um, we've seen in this past um, you know, past year, you know, really trying to in- create inflation, you know, stimulate, keep interest rates near zero. And it has failed. It has actually failed to um, introduce high levels of, of, of inflation. Um, so I'm not too concerned at that, at, on that front. And, and the, the key driver of that is demographics. We have an aging, we have an right. aging population. I don't care how low interest rates go. Uh, my parents who are near retirement, they're not going to buy a second home. Right. And I don't care if you give away cars, my parents don't need another right. vehicle to drive. Sure. They already have two. So, you know, when you think about the baby boomers that are looking to exit the workforce, going into retirement, they don't need another home. They don't need more durables. And so that's when you, when you put it into concept, it's very, very hard to really make the case for, um, you know, 1970 levels type of inflation. Also, we have technology innovation. Just think about our iPhones. These are $1,400 handsets that, you know, we get more or less for free by yeah. purchasing it through our um, provider. provider, right? Yeah. And it's globalization that's allowed that to happen, right? So we're offshoring a lot of, you know, production um, to, to low, low cost regions. And that's been a key driver of that, you know, to, to lead to deflationary um, drivers in, you know, a lot of the things that we produce. And then the final one is, you know, energy. We're not, uh, you know, OPEC doesn't control 50% of the market anymore. And it's not oil. We have renewables, we have, you know, wind, we have so many different, um, you know, uh, means of creating energy and even more so the innovation within fracking and, you know, identifying other types of reserves, if you will, um, has improved over the past 10 years. So you have this huge shale revolution that occurred, you know, over the past cycle. So, you know, energy being a driver of inflation is now no longer something that we are overly concerned about, right? So those are the key factors that, you know, at least, you know, give me the confidence um, to be a little bit more, you know, moderate in, in my inflation expectations over the long term. So, yeah. And I guess, I guess too, as long as it stays within the range, uh, central banks feel they can manage it, um, taking out everything else. If it stays within their range, they think they can manage it. Is that, yeah. is that safe too? I think, I think what they're trying to do is, you know, once again, learn from their mistakes, right? Um, you know, a lot of the policy initiatives 
that we probably thought would never happen. And Bernanke in, in the last, during the last crisis was talking about this helicopter. Model. Helicopter Ben. <laughs> but it, it didn't happen, right? It was yeah. like, what? Are you crazy, right? And so what happened was a lot of the stimulus stopped at the banks. It stopped at the corporate level and it didn't actually lead to the consumer. And so what happened this time is everyone got bailed out. Everyone got backstopped. Right. It's like an Oprah show. You get a bailout. You get a bailout. You get a bailout. Exactly. (laughs) Right. It's like free money for all. Right. And so um, it'll be hard to get out of this, I will say. And and that's probably something we can discuss at a, you know, for a future future podcast. But I I will say that, yeah, I, I think as it relates to inflation, I think what they're trying to do is as opposed to choking off the economy prematurely, they're waiting for things to get a little bit you know, overheated before they act because right. they've, they've shown their ability to act quickly and aggressively, you know, in March, they, they, they did that. And, and, you know, kudos to them. They came out guns blazing and they did what was needed. And so I have confidence in their ability to do that. So I, I think they're, they're monitoring the right um, variables and, and they're going to act accordingly. Uh, but I think this is the right decision. It's to, you know, let, let's, uh, let's wait to see, sustainable levels of inflation before we start pulling things away. And, and I think the unpredictable nature of this COVID, uh, you know, uh, rollout, and then the variation, the variants that are arising in like the UK and elsewhere in the world, like it's just very unpredictable, right? And so you don't want to act prematurely only to have another strain arise and us move into lockdown, right? Like we're seeing that already in, in Ontario, and it's been yep. pretty bad. I'll, I'll give you a great example. I have a friend of mine that's um, at SickKids. She's a pediatrician. She actually told me just yesterday that the variant is so bad that they're actually treating adults at SickKids. Sick yeah, they got 40 beds or something. They had to, exactly. yeah, it's amazing. So, well, it's, not amazing it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's no joke, right? And so this, I, I feel terrible about this, but it's, it's something that we need to be very, very mindful of, right? And so just because we get a shot or our parents or, you know, the population gets, um, vaccinated, that doesn't necessarily mean we're out of the woods, right? And so that's going to really impact the pace and uh, the timing of this recovery. Yep. Yep. That, uh, let's end there. Um, it's nice to hear the central banks are, are, are doing what you think is the nice thing. Um, obviously, we have to be very uh, cautious of, of the variant and just how this disease affects so many people so differently and all that stuff. Uh, so, um, Nadim, I want to thank you for taking the time today. Uh, to the listeners, I just want to highlight that uh, we published our asset allocation for Q1 report uh, written by Nadim. That's available through your investment advisor at Raymond James. So, Nadim, appreciate you sharing your thoughts with the Advantage Investor listeners today. Thank you. The pleasure's all mine. Yay. Advantage Investor is now on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. I would really appreciate it if you subscribed and rated the podcast. Um, And again, as we move forward towards normal, um, it's different everywhere. So please contact uh, your advisor to find out the situation on their offices being open or if they're continuing to doing their virtual office. um, Contact them with any questions. They are available and ready to answer your questions. On behalf of Raymond James and the Advantage Investor Podcast, thank you for taking the time to listen today. Until next time, stay well.
This podcast is for informational purposes only. Statistics and factual data and other information are from sources Raymond James Limited believes to be reliable, but their accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Information is furnished on the basis and understanding that Raymond James Limited is to be under no liability whatsoever in respect thereof. It is provided as a general source of information and should not be construed as an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any product and should not be considered tax advice. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax related matters. Securities related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund.